When you go to the bar and you see that man or woman across the bar and you go and you start talking to him, you both already know that you're going home to fuck, okay? So cut the bullshit, just leave. Don't even say a word to each other. Don't even look at each other. Just sit in complete silence until you get to the house. And then that's when you experiment. You do it right on site. You don't talk about it beforehand. Oh, hey, what, what are you into? Oh, you want me to tie you up? No, bro, this is what you do. You either bend him or her over and just jam a thumb in their butt. Listen, I know some men are into pegging, so women do the same thing, right? I don't know, okay? Just please people, okay? It's kind of fucking weird. <laughs> Yes, my mama eat you like Jeff Dahmer. Say she on a period, let's make a mess, mama. I desensitize myself to it. I, 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 uh... I don't know, I went to great lengths. Never did I. Knew it would be this easy. Had a month that shit greasy. They'll be the nigga shit cheesy. People said they get my corner when I turn around. Oh, it's just measy. Everybody wanna get away from me because I got heebie-jeebies smashed up like Michael. That game on the Halloween. What would you do with his sexual parts? I wouldn't enjoy it or anything. How long ago did this start? So, like I say, what right before you? But naked in your neighbor's pool, I stay stunned while I'm face fucking the decapitated skull. You ever seen that before? No freak nasty gore, I need asking laws. You was a freak show. What do you do? Try anything and you cancel, bro. I'm fixated on asphyxiating and breaking this little chick's neck like a pixie stick. The sick Satan worshiping bitches get horse whippings. I'm in the back, through the back door, slipping through the cracks, leaving the corpse, dripping the mortician of love. Sent from above, forced and treat them more. When she the more stingy, I become. Been doing this for more than a quarter century. I'm just numbing my dreaming. Is it real? Someone pinch me on the buns. Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like wolves kebabs right from Ennis? Get Ennis, boots, 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 Welcome back to the Rainy Day Horror Show. I'm Big Daddy D, and you're listening to the number one podcast on the internet, you are listening to the number one podcast in the horror genre. You are listening to the number one podcast with the number one host, Dusty McBalls. And on today's episode, he will be sharing the tragic story of the struggling artist and author William Seabrook. This is a really weird and fucked up story, so viewer discretion is advised. Today's episode will be part one of a two-part series. Next Friday, Dusty McBalls will be sharing another story on William Seabrook as he attempted to hex Hitler in World War II. So with all of this boring shit out of the way, sit back, relax, and allow me to introduce your host 
for this evening's show. Dusty McBalls, the certified cougar hunter, and your host with the most. Now shut up and enjoy this terribly horrendous episode on this weird fucking story and just this show in general. Thank you, Big Daddy D, for another beautiful intro, and yes, like he just said, we are covering a character today, a weird fucking dude, one of the weirdest people I think I've ever researched, I don't know what the fuck I was researching this entire, like, time that I was trying to make this episode, it is so fucking bizarre and we're gonna get into it and it is yeah it is just fucking weird William Seabrook is a strange and weird character right but before we get into this beautiful weird fucking story you know just burped in the microphone you probably fucking heard that if you're nauseous right now that probably made you throw up but that's okay um Slip those Crocs on, right? I know you're at work, so we're just gonna, maybe, I don't know, take a mental trip to other parts of this world, because yes, William Seabrook is a world-renowned expedition person thing. I don't know. He went on, a, he toured a bunch of places, or not really toured, but went and traveled across the world, so... He's a weird dude. It's going to get even weirder as this fucking story goes. It is a dark story. It is really, really dark. And I'm not going to spoil it, but you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. So, without further ado, let's get into this beautiful, weird fucking story on William Seabrook. William Seabrook was born on February 22nd, 1884 in Westminster, Maryland. And boy, like I said a little bit ago, he's a fucking character. William Seabrook was born into a family of preachers, and truthfully, the only thing that I could kind of find out about his family, because this man is incredibly hard to research, just because, like, every like, I was going to say resource, but every source that I looked at went into multiple different areas, multiple different categories, and there was no simple, like, biography of him. All Basically, all of the biographies on William Seabrook are in books. And I didn't have time to read a fucking book, okay? I couldn't read a fucking book in four days while writing a script. That would be damn near impossible for me to fucking do. But there's a bunch of biographies that he wrote about himself in certain situations. And we'll, we'll, we'll cover that too. But it, he was just incredibly hard to research. I had to think like for an entire day on how I'm going to layer this story 
because it yeah it was just really really hard but he was born into a family full of preachers his dad was a preacher his grandpa was a preacher and his mom Mira she wasn't a preacher at all no I don't think women could be preachers back then I don't even know if they can still be preachers but she was kind of abusive and she was allegedly the reason or driving force behind William's sadistic sexual fantasies all right yes this man had some weird sexual kinks and we'll cover that and I do believe that William's family was wealthy because he did attend Mercerburg Academy, which is a private school in Mercerburg, Pennsylvania. Now, this school on average, this is according to today, today's economy, 2023-2024. According to this school, the average people that they allow to enroll is only 444 students roughly its average classroom size is only 12 students now you may be thinking hey dusty maybe it's just a really small town that this academy is in and that's you know Maybe why there's not a whole lot of people in these classes just, you know, because they're a private school doesn't mean that the Williams family is rich. And you'd be right. And I totally agree with you. And I did agree with you until I saw their revenue and their annual tuition rate. The boarding tuition, because, you know, this is for, um, Kids that, you know, move, like, let's say a guy from Europe, a kid from Europe goes to Mercerburg, California, or not Mercerburg, California, Mercerburg, Pennsylvania, and he enrolls in this school. He has to live on campus. So for him, annually, 73000 fucking dollars. Incredibly insane. And for the kids that attend it, attend, attend the school, there we go, attend the school that either live in Mercerburg or around that can commute, their day tuition is $46,000 annually. That's fucking insane. And I don't mean they pay four hundred. They pay $46,000 a day. I mean only to go to school during the day is $46,000 a year. Insane. That's a lot of fucking money, right? To be giving... Imagine doing that for four years, right? That is fucking crazy. That is so fucking crazy. And their yearly revenue, get this, their yearly revenue is $44.65 million with a budget of $34 million. That is insane. I don't know. Listen, all right, to be honest, I would not ever enroll my son in a private school. One, because I'm fucking poor. And if I was rich, no, because um, I like to save my fucking... Well, I don't save my money. I spend friv frivolously. That's the word. Frivolous. Fri what the fuck? Frivolously. There we go. Like, if, is that a word? I think it's a word. I heard it somewhere. I hope I used it right. But still, 
No. I could be doing other shit with that $43,000. I'm putting you in private or public school and I'm going to let you fend for yourself. Okay? You are not going to a private school. Sorry to my future children, but you're not. It's public school or nothing. Right? I don't know what else to say. Okay? I'm just not happening. I will give you $100 for lunch. Well, you know how you can put it into account and then they take it out every day when they buy lunch. I'm doing that shit and just... Yeah, fuck no. I'm not paying $73,000 or $46,000 a year. Fuck that. That is stupid. But even though I was looking at today's economy and what today people are paying to go there, I'm still going to assume that the Seabrook family was pretty wealthy when he went to high school there. Once William graduated from Mercerburg High School, he went on to study at Roanoke College. He studied philosophy at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. And he got his master's degree from Newberry College. And once William returned back to the United States from studying overseas, he ended up marrying a daughter of a Coca-Cola executive and established an ad agency in Atlanta, Georgia. ATL ho, ATL ho. Sorry. We, oh God, I love Atlanta. Shout out to my Atlanta people. I love you so fucking much. You're my favorite. I can't wait to be back there in a little while. Oh, it's going to be, I just, I just can't fucking wait to go back. And right as he started his ad agency, it started to, you know, generate a decent amount of money. But he shortly got bored of it and decided to take a trip to France in 1916 where he joined, at the age of 31, the American Field Service and the French Army and was an ambulance driver. Now, we all know war can be stressful, right? It is extremely stressful. People, you know, shooting at you. Trying not to, you know, get your legs blown off by an IED. You got fellow, you know, mates, comrades, brethren dying right beside you. And, like, that shit is terrifying. It's not cool. It is so fucking stressful. I don't know how you military people do it. My hat's off to you. Not only the United States, but any other military out there because that shit is fucking terrifying. Fuck that. No. Count me out. But... Not only was when he was in the military and when he was fighting, was it already pretty stressful, but he was in the middle of World War I when he decided to join and fight in France. And he happened to be, sorry, let me backtrack. He happened to, when he, well, when he joined the French army, he ended up being a part of one of the largest and longest battles within World War I. And it was the Battle of Verdun. And for people like myself, I now know it, but when I was researching it, I didn't know what the Battle of Verdun was. But to people like me and just people that aren't well-versed in history, the Battle of Verdun is, I will give you... <coughs> I coughed. I will give you a quick recap. Basically, the Germans invaded France on February 21st, 
1916, and they fought all the way until December 18th, not 8th, almost said 8th, December 18th, 1916. And the French fucking kicked German ass. They were like, "Uh uh-uh, get that Nazi shit away from us. Now, even though, don't get me wrong, even though they weren't Nazis at this specific time, the French could see into the future, and they fucking knew. They knew what these Germans were up to, and they weren't gonna mess around in World War I or in World War II. So they had to make it known in World War I. They had to set an example. They had to send a message across to the Germans in World War I that don't fuck with us, right? That was their message. And once that message was put across, I think the Nazis remembered it. I think they remembered it during World War II. I'm pretty sure. Wait, hold on. Hold on, I might have just made myself look really, really stupid. I gotta look this up. Give me, give me, give me two seconds, okay? So, I'm back after a quick pause and fucking research. Um, I guess the French were on the Allied side in World War II. Um, but then they, the Nazis invaded them, and then they got destroyed. The French got destroyed, and then they decided to switch sides and. Well, I would assume that they were forced to switch sides and become part of the Axis powers. But yeah, so just ignore what I just said about the whole French kicking Nazi ass. So I, that, didn't, that didn't really happen in World War II. They attempted, brutally failed, and decided, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And so that's, that, that's what happened. But you, get, you, 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 you understand me and you, you get what I mean, all right? Now, in the Battle of Verdun, the German forces ended up suffering between 336,000 and 355 casualties, and the French were able to repel the German forces from taking France. And at one point, a little research that I did prior to this episode, um, one of the German generals was like, if we invade France and battle it out with France, it is either, it is going to set the tone for the rest of the war, of the war, of World War One. so if the Germans, you know, won France, maybe, you know, the, the whole Axis power thing would have swept through, or I can't really remember what they were fighting for in World War One. but since, you know, the French beat the Germans, the Allied powers were now able to win that war. And it just so happens that our main character in this story who fought in the Battle of Verdun, like other normal wars, it not only affected him physically, like it did a huge number on him physically and mentally. And other than that constant gunfire and seeing your fellow friends die right next to you, William also was subjected to a huge amount of chemical warfare that World War I brought. But even though he did go through a horrific battle 
and a horrific war, after it was all said and done, he he did get awarded. He did well. He did get awarded the I'm gonna fucking butcher this. The Croix de Guerre. I totally fucked that up. All of my like French listeners are laughing their fucking ass off. Or anybody that knows how to properly pronounce that fucking word, y'all are laughing. Okay, fuck you. All right, I'm sorry. I can't help it. Okay. And if you don't know what this medal is, because I'm not saying that name again, it is a medal awarded for bravery in the face of the enemy. So, I mean, even though you got gassed, even though Sir William got gassed and had to deal with people dying around him and trying to save people, he did get an award. He did get a medal. So, that's that's pretty cool, I guess. I don't fucking know. No fucking way I would have ever done that. Fuck that shit. I'm out. Right? I am out. Now, after the war, William returned back home to the United States, where he became a reporter for the New York Times. He sold 11 books, published articles in popular magazines like Cosmopolitan, Reader's Digest, and Vanity Fair. But... It wasn't all sunshine and roses for our boy Willie. After the war, he had a major, major drinking problem that led him to the, well, that didn't lead him, but led to a divorce between him and his wife, Catherine Pauline Edmondson in 1934. Now, I have no clue why she stayed with him that long because after he returned from the war, Not only was he an alcoholic, but he engaged in some fucked up shit. And if you're wondering what that fucked up shit is, relax, because I'm literally going to tell you right now. He was involved in cannibalism. He was obsessed with the occult. And he had really perverse and sexual fantasies. Not the normal kind, okay? I know some of us got some animalistic tendencies, but his shit allegedly was off the wall, right? And on top of being all on top of all that stuff, he was friends with Alistair Crawley. If you know who that is, you know what he's about. I'm not going to introduce him right now or give a backstory on him because we will probably cover him in a different episode. But after William and Catherine got divorced, William would get remarried within a year to a woman named Marjorie Worthington. And if that name sounds familiar to you little, you know, little bookworms, it's also because she's an author. Marjorie and William first met in 1926 and, and, whoa, hold on, sorry, I gotta backtrack. So, because... I, I don't know what I was doing at this point because I, I, I sometimes read ahead and sometimes my own shit fucks me up. And so they first met in 1926 and would be, you know, not really together, but they would be friends and close with each other up until their divorce in 1941. They had traveled throughout Europe and Africa together all the time. Like, that's what they did when we're about to get into this fucked up story, but that's where they, you know, first met. They first 
I can't remember how they met. It didn't really say how they met. But when they did meet, they decided to go to Haiti together. And this... This is where it gets weird. And she got the whole brunt of William's like deranged mental health, I guess is what you could say. And the first sign of him going completely deranged after the war, <laughs> oh God, was when they went on a trip together to Haiti in the mid-1920s. And it was here in Haiti where his obsession with the occult was fed. And it was also here in Haiti where he learned magic spells that he would use in the future to try and curse Hitler. And we will cover that. This is a part two. This No, not part two. This is a part one, right? I forgot to mention that at the beginning, but this is going to be a two-part series. This first episode, I know Big D mentioned it, but I completely forgot to mention it. This first episode is just going to be about him and his backstory. And then the next week, next Friday, don't know why I said that's so weird, but next Friday is going to be about the Hitler hexing party that this dude fucking, fucking did. It, it's bizarre. Trust me. It's really bizarre. Now, William had stayed in Haiti for 12 months, learning everything that their culture had to offer. And he was even partaking in all of their traditions, except for one. One tradition that the chief of the tribe that William was staying with wouldn't let him join in on the consumption of of human meat or formerly known as cannibalism now when the chief said you know, you know no no Willie you, you're not fucking doing this shit right you can't this is fucking weird I feel uncomfortable but like we can do it but like seeing you do it's fucking weird you're a newbie and no get the fuck out you're not eating any humans well Sir William Seabrook was so upset and so disrespected by the chief that when he returned back to the United States, he had convinced for some fucking reason, he was able to convince one of his friends that worked at a hospital. He had them put his or her, I don't know who it was, didn't specify, him or her fucking job that's the word job on the line to steal human flesh and bring it to him and for some fucking reason this friend's like mm, that's a good goddamn idea like i'm gonna fucking do that for you william count me in right and after he got the fucking human meat guess what he did he ate said fucking human meat meat and you know what the worst part of it is like cannibalism already really fucked up okay i know it's popular in some cultures but no thank you fucking 
weird. I usually don't disrespect cultures, but this is one of those things where even a normal person is like, that's fucking weird. Even some weird people are like, that's fucking weird. Okay? But no. William's like, count me in, I'm fucking eating this shit. And he fucking ate it, and he enjoyed it. He fucking liked it. He would even quote and say that it tasted like veal. Ew. Nasty. I'm gonna go throw up in the toilet. That is so fucking disgusting. But I don't know if he actually ate it. There, this is one of those stories that should be taken with the grain of salt. Some of it's alleged. Some of it's not. And this is the part where I think that he may have ate a person. Um, kind of maybe a little fabricated. Just because. Like, if me and you take a track like, take a look at a track record of cannibals, specifically most cannibalistic serial killers, they usually said it tasted like pork, okay? But I don't, I don't, I don't fucking know, and I'm never gonna fucking know, because I am never gonna eat somebody. If I ever eat somebody, viewers and Gabby and any of my family members, you have all the right in the world to kill me, right? Go ahead. Fucking blow my brains across the ceiling. Because I know that's so gross and disgusting. No, 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 right? Just, okay. But once he returned home from Haiti and after he ate human flesh, he published his first book for... I burped. Sorry. I burped again. Can't help it. But he published his first book for a Western audience called The Magic Island, which is just basically a book about his time in Haiti and all of the things that he learned from their culture. But this book is very, very important. Not only to like US pop culture, but to the world as a whole. Within this book, William introduced us viewers, us people, to the world of zombies. Due to this is this is why, this is why we were introduced to it, because he decided to detail every account of Haitian voodoo zombie rituals. And there was a rumor, a rumor that William heard from a Haitian tax collector named Constant Polynice. I think that's how you say his last name. I'm sorry, you're probably dead, and I'm sorry if I disrespected you. And as the story goes, William was told that a group of zombies and their living masters had come down from the mountains in order to work for the American Sugar Company. The zombie masters were a couple, Ty Joseph and his wife Croyance, and they had personally dug up the recently dead from their village, and they worked their zombie slaves day in and day out, morning to night. 
on copious amount of hours. And they did this for the company and kept the group's wages for themselves. This scheme would have kept going if Coyence hadn't taken the zombies to a city festival out of pity. There, the zombies tasted salt, which had been previously forbidden to them because it had the ability to remind them that they were in dead, not in dead, indeed dead. Now, is this 100% total factual evidence that zombies are real? Yes. Yes, it is. I don't give a fuck what you people say. Zombies are real. And listen, I don't disrespect voodoo, right? Voodoo is one of those things that is just so powerful, so potent, so many people, well, not so many people. Well, I guess if you live in Louisiana, so many people do it, but still. I don't want to even associate with that, so I'm going to say it is real, so I have no bad karma come against me and fuck my own shit up, okay? Not happening, right? So, if some Haitian tax collector told this fucking story, like, fuck no, right? You Y'all can keep your zombie shit. Don't bring it near me. I don't want any part of it. I'm being 100% honest. No, right? Just, just no. And once these zombies were aware of their decaying flesh, the zombies rushed back to their graves while their loved ones busied themselves with murdering Ty Joseph. Now at first, Seabrook dismissed Sir Polly Nice's story. Then one day, while being on the isolated island of Ganave, I think that's how you say it, Seabrook came face to face with what he considered to be a zombie. Now, is this true and accurate? I have no fucking clue. So far, this man seems really mentally ill. And, I mean, with he went through a war and he's just, yeah, right? He's just, you can tell he's mentally ill. And probably has been mentally ill even before the war. But still, right? I have no fucking clue what's real and what's fake at this point with this story. I'm being 100% honest. I have no fucking clue, okay? This is why I say this is one of those stories that are alleged. The only thing that I say is true is that fucking story about the zombies. That's the only fucking thing that's true. Other than that, this is all fucking alleged. I have no fucking clue. This dude is crazy. Lives a wild lifestyle. And I, that rhymed, and I don't know. I don't fucking know. I can't. This, this, this is one of those weird fucking stories where I have no fucking clue. Okay, I'm sorry, but I don't. I have no fucking clue. The only thing that I do have somewhat of a clue on with this story is that when Magic Island was released, it became a New York's bestseller and basically launched William into stardom. And a lot of people credit him for making zombies mainstream. He was the only one in the 20s to, you know... 30s, 20s, yeah, 20s. He was the only one in the 20s to even bring up zombies, and that filtered straight into movies, okay? 
I don't know the movies off the top of my head, but there are a few that I saw through research that did release, and he, by a lot of people, are credited for kickstarting zombies within the U.S. culture, okay? So as William is going down this new path of fame and fortune, it still wasn't all rainbows and leprechauns, okay? Every time he was criticized for anything he wrote, he would drink. And I don't mean drink a little, I mean drink heavily. And after a while, he started to notice how heavy he was drinking. So eventually, he decided to check himself into Bloomingdale Asylum, where he underwent hydrotherapy and psychoanalysis for seven months, and then was released in 1933. After he was released from the asylum, he wrote another book called, get this, Asylum, and it was basically about his entire stay at the Bloomingdale Mental Institution, and that book was released in 1935. Now, after he got out of Bloomingdale Asylum, Willie Boy was doing, you know, pretty good. You know, he was doing good at just staying clean. Not being so just fucking weird, right? But once Asylum was released to the public, William was once again hit with heavy criticism. People were saying that this book was his last grasp for greatness. And even the late, the great F. Scott Fitzgerald, one of Willie's idols would make fun of the book Asylum in a crack up and well in the crack up. I don't know what the crack up was. I didn't want to. I just, yeah, I didn't, I don't know what it is. Okay. It didn't seem relevant at the time. I would assume it's probably like a talk show thing or it's a book or it's a newspaper article about an interview. That's what I'm assuming the crack up was. And because of this heavy criticism, especially from F. Scott Fitzgerald, that was, but I butchered that, William ended up turning back to drinking and he would release four more books until his divorce from Marjorie in 1941. Now, William and Marjorie didn't get divorced because of his heavy drinking, his weird sexual fantasies, or the fact that, I don't know, maybe William ate and enjoyed human meat. They actually got divorced because William, oh God, William wanted his mistress, Constance Krah, to move in with them. And Marjorie, being the badass bitch that she is, felt, you know, very disrespected as any woman should by, you know, his actions. So she packed up her bags and she said, fuck you to William and left him. And after Marjorie left William, William and Constance would begin to date and eventually get married on June 2nd, 1942. And they ended up having one child. And I think it's William's only child, William Seabrook Eighth, And William was, this is so funny, I get a kick out of this, William was so upset and unhappy about having another boy that he even stated, 
I'm the seventh William Seabrook. There's too many of us. Well, here, William, let me help you out. Maybe if you would have just named, I don't know, your child a different fucking name, that problem could have been solved. Could have been totally solved. And I know it was a thing to like use the same name over and over back in like the 1900s. But here, just, I don't know, maybe you're already fucking weird. Maybe just, I don't know, not use your fucking name and maybe try and set a trend. I don't fucking know. Okay. I, I don't know, but yeah, he was very upset about having a boy. And this is, this is, this is where I think, um, well, from what I researched where Williams, cause we're going to get into his sexual fantasies. Now this fucking guy's a freak. This dude's a freaking boy, right? Constance was basically okay with everything that William did. From the alcohol, the cannibalism, the twisted sexual fantasies. And some sources even noted that she would not only encourage them, but actively join in herself. A little menage a trois. A little 1943 some. Foursome, fivesome. I don't fucking know, but this dude was into BDSM and all that type of shit. And... When he was locked up in the hospital, psychiatrists related were, well, psychiatrists were able to find out that he related his sexual fantasies to a desire to punish his mother, Mira, for some childish hurt or abuse. And at the height of his fame, Seabrook literally took to the public about his journeys in Timbuktu, where he told the story of a half-naked sex worker who was suspended by her wrists on a balcony. And later, again, while recovering from his hospitalization from Bloomingdale Asylum, he was staying in a very wealthy village in upstate New York where he engaged in an... Well, this is going to be a tongue twister. Where he engaged in a marathon... S&M sessions with local girls in a barn and at one point ex-wife Marjorie Worthington would come out and say he made no secret of his sexual twist. He wanted people to know about his sadism and to talk about it. I always felt that it was something private and horrid. To be kept out of sight. This. Why the fuck are you going into public and telling people about your weird sexual fantasies, you fucking creep? If I went outside right now and gave a public speech on shit that I like sexually done to me, you know how many weird fucking looks I would get. You know how many people would try and beat my ass? The cops would probably be called on me. I swear to God, if anybody does a Martin Luther King Jr. speech, not like his exact speech, but a type of speech like him, or like when Obama would address the public, somebody fucking does that and they start talking about sadistic 
sexual fantasies or any sexual fantasies. I'm sorry, an assassination is being brought on site. Bro, I'm coming with all of the smoke and you are going to die. I'm, no, I don't want to hear about how fucked up your shit is, okay? Get the fuck away from me, all right? Nobody gives a shit, right? I'm sorry, that girl that you're talking to or that boy that you're talking to right now doesn't care about what you want sexually, really. I'm being honest. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just being, you know, truthful here. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit really about what you're into unless you are in a relationship and you know, the, the stuff's a little dry, not like the parts are a little dry, but there's no friction. There's no, you know, passion. There's no good old love making. No, 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 no. Right. In that case, yes. Explain your sexual desires that you want with you and your partner. But dude, if it's a one night stand, shut the fuck up. Nobody cares, all right? When you go to the bar and you see that man or woman across the bar and you go and you start talking to him, you both already know that you're going home to fuck, okay? So cut the bullshit, just leave. Don't even say a word to each other. Don't even look at each other. Just sit in complete silence until you get to the house. And then that's when you experiment. You do it right on site. You don't talk about it beforehand. Oh, hey, what, what are you into? Oh, you want me to tie you up? No, bro, this is what you do. You either bend him or her over and just jam a thumb in their butt. Listen, I know some men are into pegging, so women do the same thing, right? I don't know, okay? Just please people, okay? It's kind of fucking weird. Not peg, well, it's weird. What I'm trying to say is it's fucking weird to talk about sexual shit with a person that you're just about to meet. Well, you just met, right? That's fucking weird, okay? Now, if you guys have been seeing each other for a little bit, then it's okay. But, like, if you guys have been talking for a fucking week and Jimmy tells Susie that he likes being pegged in the ass, that I... Oh, oh, oh. Ew. Gross. No. So, I don't know why. This man did it, right? He's just a weird fucking character. Not only was he mentally ill, but he also, I guess, had mommy issues. And I, well, not I, but he thought it was a great idea to take it out on women. That's, we're about to get into a little rant here, okay? Like, I'm not going to lie. I don't know how he wasn't a serial killer. I mean, to be honest, he is showing all of the signs of a serial killer. For example, and I not just one, I got multiple here. So get fucking ready for this. William came from an abusive home. William has mental health issues. William has eight human fucking flesh. Okay, and William likes sexual sadism, and he already has a driving force, his fucking mom, so like, I really don't see the difference between him and a Jeffrey Dahmer, him and a Ted Bundy, like, him and any other serial killer in this world. The only thing that he didn't do was, well, we, from what I could research, I, you know, sometimes records that date back that far are, you know, 
not that great. The only thing that I could find is he didn't kill anybody. Now, is that true? I have no fucking clue. But, like, yeah, I just, guys, this fucking story, okay? This fucking story is so, so fucking weird. I don't know what the fuck I researched this entire time. I just, I don't fucking know, okay? I really don't. I'm as shocked as you are with this dumb fucking story. No fucking clue, okay? I'm sorry, but, like, this is the weirdest fucking story I think I've ever interviewed, or not interviewed, but read, and I've done a lot of weird fucking stories. This one, I think, is the weirdest. I'm being upfront and 100% honest. I think this is the weirdest fucking story I've ever done, all right? Now, him and Constance would stay together until his fucking death, and he ended up committing... What it well, it didn't say he committed suicide, but he it pointed at suicide. I and I'm saying because this is where I'm getting that inference from, right? He not only well, he was just a struggling artist. Every criticism that was brought up against him, he would drink himself to death. Okay, not literally to death, but he would drink himself into just this ugly pit of just sadness, right? So there was obviously some sort of just how am I trying to say this I don't want to say mental health because we already know he has mental health issues but like just he was just so fucking sad and so out there and I don't think he felt like he was miss like he was understood properly and I feel like a lot of people judged him like how I did this entire fucking story. He was probably a great guy. I'm being 100% honest. He probably might have been a great dude. But he was just... He was just weird. And I think he was just really, really sad because... The way he was acting out and the things that he was doing... I feel like was... Not really, more, I'd say anger from his upbringing, from his mom being abusive and stuff like that. And I feel like he was angry at the world because, yes, he did have, you know, three different marriages. But they all talked, from what I researched, they all talked very highly of him. And that one of them, I think it was Marjorie, said that he had this, just this innate feeling to make every woman he came across very special and made them feel wanted so they never really other than his drinking other than the weird shit that he did they always they didn't say anything bad about him but i just think he was just very sad and you know just a very struggling artist and he ended up from what i could find from what i pieced together i feel like he did commit suicide don't quote me on it i know one source said he committed suicide or one or two sort. well, no, it was like two or three. Two or three sources did say he commits suicide, but a bunch of others said that he just took a bunch of sleeping pills and died. And whichever one you want to believe, um, I think personally he committed suicide just because of the way he was acting out and he felt so misunderstood and just was really, really angry and sad about everything. I personally think he committed suicide just because he couldn't take that anymore. And he ended up dying on September 20th, 1945 in his Rhinebeck, well, yeah, in his Rhinebeck, New York home. 
So, yeah, it is. He's a weird dude. And this is, like I said earlier, this is just a part one. Next week, we're going to do a part two where he actually tries to curse Hitler with voodoo magic. And that's going to be a good, interesting episode. I'm excited to do that to kind of carry on this weird William Seabrook dude. Now, I know I was really mean to him and everything like that. And I know I was poking jokes at him. But in all seriousness, I do really feel bad for him because he was a struggling um, artist and he just wanted to be accepted. So maybe that's why he lashed out and did all these weird things like eating people or um, these sexual sadistic. Well, we know that came from his mom and that was anger. But like maybe that's why he did all this weird shit. So I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Um, that's going to be it for this episode. It was a little long, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I will see you guys tomorrow for a creepy encounter episode. So get ready. And then this Sunday. Yeah, this Sunday. Oregon, you're up. So I still haven't looked at what serial killers I'm going to do for you guys. But it's going to be a dope one. So I'm going to let you guys go here. Enjoy the rest of your, of your day. Don't try and party too hard tonight, okay? Don't want a massive hangover. If you're going shopping, don't literally shop till you broke. I say shop till you drop. But, like, within reason, okay? If you don't make a million dollars, don't be shopping at the Louis V store, okay? Shop where you can afford, all right? Because if you can't pay your bills because you listened to me and went to the fucking Louis V store and decided to buy a bunch of Louis Vuitton, like, bro, shop till you drop within your price range, all right? Remember, stay frosty, stay foxy. Most importantly... The most important thing on this planet. Stay safe, you beautiful peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces. (laughs) 